Are you excited and ready for the Word of God tonight? Oh, good, because you know what? I'm excited because I got a message that convicted me while I was uh, writing it. So are you ready to be convicted? (laughs) So if it convicted me, get ready. Fasten your seatbelts. We're going to have a good time, eh? So, all right. You know, um, Pastor Mike has been preaching on a series. Everyone knows what that series is now. Destiny and Purpose. Destiny and Purpose. Okay, and uh, uh, if you've been in the church for, for any more than, uh, for, than a fortnight, you'll know that every one of us, without exception, if you're born again of God, there is a purpose, a specific uh, destiny and duty and God-ordained purpose for your life. Do you believe that? Yeah? All right. Okay, now, even though that is the case, every one of us, without exception, has that How many of you know that not all of us live that? All right, okay. Not all of us live that. We know that that we know that while this is true, while we each have this purpose, there's some of us who never bother discovering what that purpose is. There's some of us who never bother discovering it, and there's some people who know it yet never live it. And uh, as phrase that struck me from Pastor Dave's message. Uh, was it last Sunday night, eh? Last Sunday night was that dreams do not determine destiny. Dreams do not determine destiny. That is true. Vi- dreams are a vital ingredient. You need a dream to fulfill your destiny, but that's not going to do it alone. You need more than that. You need more than a dream. You need the character to walk it through in life. Amen? You believe that? All right. So what separates us and our dreams from living our purpose and destiny in life is the character to walk it through. You and I, we need character to live it. See, the Bible tells us, the Old Testament tells us the story of the nation of Israel. Now, that nation knew what their destiny was. They knew that their destiny was to possess that promised land. They knew it really clearly. But you know what? The sad thing is, is out of the whole generation who was meant to inherit that promised land, the whole generation that was meant to live in it and receive the blessing of God, only two people of that generation actually received it. Only two people walked in their destiny. The rest of them died in the wilderness, a pointless death. Now you see, that's got some lessons that we can learn from, amen? Because the people that did possess it, the two guys' names were Joshua and Caleb. And if we're serious, if we're serious about working in what God really has for our lives, we've got to learn what these guys did. We've got to learn from their lives. Because there's one thing worse than not knowing what your purpose and destiny is. You know what the one thing worse than that is? Is knowing it and never living it. Yeah? Knowing it and never living it. I don't want to be in that position. So are you ready? You got your seatbelts fastened because we're going to go on a tour. All right. I want you to turn in your Bible to Numbers chapter 13. We're going to learn about Caleb. Caleb was, you know what? Caleb's one of the heroes of faith. He's an awesome dude. Okay, now just as a bit of background, Numbers chapter 13, we're going to be flipping from Numbers chapter 13 and 14. So you want to keep that place open in your Bible. All right. 
Now, the background is, is that the Old Testament tells the story of the nation of Israel. It tells that they've been held as slaves for 400 years. Their babies had been, had been murdered. They were whipped. They were beaten. They, were, uh, they had no freedom at all. They lived a hard and miserable life. And God in his mercy sent a deliverer. That deliverer was Moses. And Moses, through a, a series of outstanding miracles, took the people out, once slaves, took them out as victors over the entire power of Egypt, led them out through the Red Sea. And just for good measure, he drowned the entire Egyptian army in the sea. Now, that's a, that's a good miracle, eh? Drowning your enemies in the sea. That's very good. All right. He led the Israelites through the wilderness with a cloud of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by, by day. He fed them with bread that came down from heaven. Outstanding stuff. How many of you would like to see things like that? Oh, yeah, that's good stuff, eh? And now they stand 34 kilometers, 34 kilometers from the promised land. And here's where we pick up the story in Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 and 3. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men out to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, each one a leader among them. Everyone say a leader, a leader. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the commandment of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. So it talks about a leader. They were princes. They were captains. They were chiefs. These guys were not runts of the litter. Okay? These guys were the Richie McCaws, the Jerry Collinses, the Doug Howlett's. These were mighty men. All right? Good guys. Strong guys. And their brief was Andy Mason's. Woo! Their brief was, okay, in chapter uh, and, uh, 13, look in verse 17. We're going to skip a whole lot of verses. Then Moses said to them, spy out the land of Canaan. And he said to them, go up this way into the south and into the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in there are strong or weak, few or many, and whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land, because I'd like some grapes. All right. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So off they went on a 40-day recce. They went to spy out the land, and God sent them out to get a vision of what could be. You see, the principle of faith is here is what you see you can have. God wasn't sending them out so that they could be fearful. He was sending them out so they could get a vision of what their lives could be like. He wasn't sending them out so that they could be beaten up or anything. He was sending them out so that there would be a seed of faith ignited in their lives. So off they go and back they come. And this is what they got to say. Look over in verse 27. Then he told them, they told them and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And at that stage, you know that they know that the children of Anak, they're giants, and the people's knees are beginning to knock. But Caleb, in verse 30, 
Caleb quieted the people and said, be quiet, guys, be quiet. He said, let's go up at once and take possession, for we are well able. Say, well able. We are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report. Uh Uh-oh. They went out to get a vision of what God could do in their lives, and they came back. Beaten up, they said, the people are stronger than us. There's lots of problems with what God wants to give us. We're not so sure. The people there are giants. In fact, they're all giants. What's more, the land it eats and devours the people. Oh, it gets worse. It gets worse. The leaders get weak at the knees and the whole camp gets a bellyache. The whole camp gets a bellyache. They said we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. And in uh, chapter 14, 1 to 4, it says, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in Egypt. Hello, what are they thinking? God gives them an opportunity to see the incredible things that he can do in their lives. And they come back complaining and say, no, let's go back to the place where we were slaves. Let's go back to the place where they killed our children. We don't want this. They grizzle and cry. And they're just about to stone Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua. They're lifting up their stones and in comes God. Everyone say, uh-oh. Do you think these guys are in trouble? Oh, yeah, they're in trouble. All right. You have a quick look over. See, God's got something to say about this. He's got something to say. In verse 22 and 24, it says, All these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times, and have not listened to my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. When we reject the promises of God, it's like we're rejecting God himself. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has fully followed me, I will bring him to the land where he went. And his descendants shall inherit it. My servant Caleb has a different spirit and followed me. How many of you want to be like Caleb? I know I want to be like Caleb. I want to be like that man. And the rest of you are toast. The rest of you are dead. The rest of you are going to fall in the wilderness. What made Caleb different? What made Caleb a a man that God said, this man has a different spirit? You see, there's five qualities that I've seen that Caleb had. Five qualities 
that he had and that if we want to not just have a dream in our hearts, a destiny that we know is out there for us, but we will have a destiny that we will walk in and fulfill. These are qualities that you and I are going to need in our lives. The first thing that Caleb had was he had a can-do attitude. Say to the person next to you, a can-do attitude. Numbers 13 and verse 30. Caleb quieted the people and said, let us go up at once and possess the land for we are well able to take it. You know, there's one thing that really, you know, there's things that irritate me. Do you have things that irritate me? Yeah, I have things that irritate me. One of the things is people telling me things that can't be done. That really ticks me. Okay, if you want to, if you want to upset me, you tell me something that can't be done and I'll make sure that I can find a way to do it to prove you wrong. Okay, (laughs) can't do really upsets me. Can do is an awesome attitude. We are well able to overcome. That's a can do attitude. And if you want to walk in your purpose in life, you've got to have an attitude that says, let's go up. Let's do it. We are well able to do it. We're well able to do it. Yeah. What about the others? What about the others? What sort of attitude did they have? They had a whingy, grizzly attitude. Okay, in 33, Numbers 30 and 33, it says, There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak. They came from giants, and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. And so we were in their sight. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we seemed to them, that's a can't-do attitude. They were defeated before the war even started. They couldn't do it. Who told them they were grasshoppers? Did the giants? The giants didn't even see them. They told themselves they were grasshoppers. People, I want to ask you tonight, what do you tell yourself? What is the talk and the chatter that goes in your heart? Do you have grasshopper talk in your heart? Do you have the talk that says, I can't do it. This is, this is too hard. I'll never be able to do anything great. What a loser. Hey? All right. Or do you have the attitude that says, I'm able, I can do it. This is mine for the taking. I am a winner. I am an overcomer. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why don't you give the Lord a shout if that's you tonight? Yeah. Oh. You see, if you have a lot of negative, doubting, self-talking going on in your life, it's time to silence it. It's time for a radical transformation in your thinking. Romans 12 and verse 2, and I'll read from the New Living Translation. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. Tell the person next to you, you need to change the way you're thinking. Eh? (laughs) See, grasshopper thinking comes... From the world culture we live in, the world will tell you, you can't do that. You've got no right to do that. You can't be anything great. Who do you think you are? That's grasshopper thinking. 
That didn't come from God. That came from the world culture. Just negative. You see, if you've got a lot of that self-talk going on in your life, there's time to delete that from your hard drive, put it in the recycle bin, and then empty the recycle bin, and don't ever revisit it. Yeah? See, Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can you pass that exam? Yes. Can you love your husband or wife? Of course. Can you honor your parents? Yes. Can you overcome that fear in your life? Yes. Can you develop excellence in your workplace? Yes. Can you bring your finances into order? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Yes. You see, I have, I've got a couple of favorite sayings here, okay? You want to write these down because these are good, okay? See, whether you say you can or whether you say you can't, you're right. Huh? You got that? Whether you say you can or whether you say you can't, you're right. Here's another one. The person who says it can't be done needs to get out of the way of the person who's doing it. Yeah? All right. See, in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7, it says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As the person thinks in their heart, they are that person. The thoughts in your life, your thinking, determines who you are. And in turn, it will determine what you do. It's time for a radical change in your thinking. Develop a can-do attitude. The next key to developing a... uh, The next key for Caleb, okay? The next key is to develop a God-is-able foundation. A God-is-able foundation. And let me add to that, actually, while I'm preaching. God is able and God is good. Yeah, this is so foundational. But you know what? The number of people I hear grizzling about what God's done to them and how God's done this and God's done that. What are you, nuts? God didn't do that. The devil did it. Bad God, good devil. This is fundamental stuff. You know, you've got to get this. In Numbers 14 and verse 9, it says, Only, Caleb says, only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. The Lord is with us. The people, they are bread for us. The giants are so big, we can't miss them. The problem in your life cannot stand if you approach it with a God can. God is able and God is attitude. You know, to get the full impact of what Caleb said, we've got to have a look, contrast it to what the others said. In Numbers 14.3, it says, why, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? God's brought us here to die. We're all going to die. 
what's God doing? He's wanting to kill me. Doesn't he know how much I can take? I can't take it. God obviously doesn't want to heal me. He doesn't want me to succeed. He wants to teach me a lesson. Oh my word, what are you thinking? Good God, bad devil. Get this in your head. Yeah. Oh my word, there is a powerful and chilling warning that comes with this. Okay. Guys, this is... This is, this is chilling, okay? In Numbers 14, 28 and 29, this is God speaking. He says to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above. Tell the person next to you, you do not want to grumble against God. Because when the lightning falls, I don't want the flames to ruin my clothes. Okay? You do not want to grumble against God, lest you get what you say. According to your faith, let it be to you. That's chilling, you know, as I read that, I thought, wow, you know, Doug, watch what you say. You see, from the beginning to the end, the Bible reveals God as a good God and the devil as a bad devil. John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life. And that they may have it more abundantly. James 1.17 says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Psalm 35 and verse 27 says, Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified who is pleasure in the prosperity or success of his servant, God takes pleasure in your success, in your prosperity, not in your failure, not in your feet. God is for you. And if God is for you, who will be against you? Whoa. See, God is good. If you're wanting to walk in your destiny, you've got to get this real clear in your head because I can't tell you how many people, mature people who should know better, I've heard grizzle about God. We've said, oh, I don't know what God's doing. I, blah, 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 blah. I, yeah. If I was allowed to slap you, I would. Okay? Yeah. In fact, I might anyway. All right. Get a God is able attitude. The third key, the third key of Caleb was that he had a forward focus. He said he had a forward focus. Tell the person next to you, you need to have a forward focus. And I'm not talking about those dinky little cars, Okay. Caleb was looking forward, he wasn't looking back. Numbers 13 30, he quieted the people and he said, Let us go up at once. Let us go up at once. He wasn't looking backwards, there was no question in his heart. Numbers 13 30, that's what he said. But the people 
they were looking backwards. They were looking over their shoulder. And in 14 verse 4 it says, So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. That is a heartbreaking statement. They were looking back over their shoulder and saying, Slavery is better than this. You see, do you have your eyes on the past? Where are your eyes looking? Are you looking out to the future? Or are you looking back at the past? Maybe you've got a longing for the things of this world. There's something that says, you know, you know that party scene, I, I want to be back in it. I want to be back with that. I want to be back in, in that that relationship. I want to be back and I want to be doing those things. Is that going on and burbling away in your spirit? Or maybe you've got a hold of an offense and the injustices of the past. Or do you have a clear eye for the future? Regardless of the price you pay, you're not taking your eyes off from that. See, the car that brought you here tonight, how many of you came in a car tonight? You came in a car tonight, all right. The car that you came in tonight has a rear vision mirror, and there's lots of useful things that you can do with that rear vision mirror. You can check that your hair is straight, okay? Yeah. <laughs> you can check that you're not wearing the McDonald's that you had for dinner on your cheeks. Ladies, you can check that your lipstick is on all right, or that your lipstick is not on your teeth. And while you're driving, you can look in that and see if those lights flashing behind you really are the policemen telling you to pull over. There's lots of useful things that you can do with that rear vision mirror, but do you know what? There's one thing that you can't do with that rear vision mirror. You can't drive somewhere to get somewhere with your eyes fixed on that rear vision mirror because if you do, you will bump into someone and I tell you, that better not be me, okay? <laughs> you know what? You can't drive like that, but people live their lives like that looking in the rear vision mirror, looking at their past, looking at what was back there, you can't live life like that without banging into something. So tonight, if you're spending a lot of your life banging into something, things, stop looking in the rear vision mirror. Look in front of you. Get a vision for the future. Look forward. Don't look back. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, 12, 14. It says, not that I have already attained it or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have got there, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the upward call of Christ. Are you pressing on into that? Or you got a hold on the past? Or has the past got a hold on you? You cannot fulfill your potential in life if you're holding on to the past. You see, one of the awesome things about baptism, and I love this about baptism, 
is when you're baptized. How many of you have been water baptized here? Okay, if you haven't been water baptized, you need to talk with Amanda about that or Brett about that, okay? Because they'll baptize you, they'll dunk you. One of the awesome things about water baptism is not that you get wet, okay? It's that you bury your past. It goes into a grave. And I tell you, when you bury something like that, you don't want to visit it. That's one grave site that you don't want to go back to. Don't go back there. It's buried. If it tries to come out, you say, you're dead. You're dead. You've got no right condemnation. You're dead. Get back there. You've got no hold on my life. You speak to it. Tell the person to you, don't look back. Don't look back. All right, next key is, okay, you ready for this? Fourth key. Don't bow down to peer pressure. Don't bow down to peer pressure. Can you imagine the pressure on Joshua and Caleb? They went out with 12 guys. 12 of them went out. All of them big men, leaders, princes, rulers. Ten of them came back saying, it can't be done, sorry. There's no way, we don't have a hope. And that too, saying, well, that's standing alone, saying, we can do it. We can do it. We need to do it. Can you imagine the pressure of that? Then not only that, those ten men turn an entire nation against them. An entire nation ready to stone them. Can you imagine the pressure of that? Huge. But you see, if you ever want to walk in greatness, you need to be prepared for the times when you will not be popular. You see, if it's more important to you to be cool or popular than pure, you're waiting for a knock on your door from the devil. Yeah? Because there are times in every great man and woman of God where they weren't popular at all. You see, there was an experiment conducted a while back. And they brought a group of 10 people in and their role was is to say, very simple, which line is the shortest line? So they're given two lines and say, which one is, is shorter than the other? Simple job, eh? Except nine of those people were told, I want you to vote for the wrong one. You say the longer one is the shorter one, okay? You got that? So they went into their room, nine of those people, knowing that they were going to say the wrong answer. And one of those person, people, not knowing what the others were up to, you know what? 75% of those ones who went in unknowing said that the longer line was shorter because everyone else did it. 75% of the people who went into that did that. If you don't think peer pressure is a big thing in your life, think again. Because it is. It matters. In John uh, chapter 5 and verse 44, Jesus said, How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek honor that comes from the only God? How can you believe? How can you have faith when you seek the approval and respect and honor of other people. How can you believe that's a block in your faith? And if that thing is going on in your life, 
You need to deal with it. So I read a... Um, here we go. Let me... Let me I got a, you know, I did some, uh, did some reading the other day, and I found this. This is a very cool story talking about prayer, prayer, peer pressure. Okay. It's called John Brown Finds a Wife. Okay, true story. You ready for a true story? All right, this is good. Okay. The mid-1680s. You'll like this, Andy. Okay. The mid-1680s is remembered as the killing time in Scotland. Royal regiments martyred and killed Scottish Christians at will. Despite the danger, a man called John Bowen, John Brown, fell in love with Isabel Ware. He proposed to her, but warned that one day he would seal his faith with blood. Isabel replied, if it be so, I will be your comfort. The Lord has promised me grace. They were married in a secret glen by the outlawed minister, Alexander Peden. He said, these witnesses of your vows said Peden, beginning the illegal ceremony, have come at risk of their lives to hear God's word and his ordinance of marriage. The vows were spoken, then Peden drew Isabel aside saying, you've got a good husband. Keep linen for a winding sheet or a burial sheet beside you, for in a day when you least expect it, thy master will be taken. The brown home Soon included two children. It was happy, filled with prayer and good conversation. Fugitive preachers were hidden and cared for there. But on May the 1st, 1685, John rose at dawn singing Psalm 27. To find the house surrounded by soldiers, the family filed out onto the lawn and the commander, Claverhouse, shouted to John, Go to your prayers, you shall immediately die. Kneeling, John prayed earnestly for his wife, pregnant again, and for his children. Then he arose and embraced Isabel and said, The day is come of which I told you when I first proposed to you. Indeed, John, she said, if it must be so, I can willingly part from you. This is all I desire, replied John. I have no more to do but to die. He kissed his children. Their Claverhouse ordered his men to shoot. The soldiers hesitated. Snatching a pistol, Claverhouse placed it to John's head and blew out his brains. What thinkest now of your husband now, woman? He snarled. Isabel, looking at Claverhouse in a gaze, told him she had never been so proud of him. Isn't that a powerful story? Talk about peer pressure. We're worried that someone might laugh at us. It's a powerful story, eh? Refuse to buckle to peer pressure. The final key tonight about Caleb is that refuse, refuse to let the choices of others rob you of strength. You see, because of the nation's refusal to trust God, do you know what Caleb, who was full of faith, had done nothing wrong, got to walk 40 years in the desert while those guys fell over. Can you imagine what would go on in his heart? I, I can hardly imagine the pain in his heart knowing that at 45 years of age, he would have to walk 40 years because of the unbelief and bad choices of others. See, I can imagine Caleb having to deal with some anger and bitterness. Can you imagine that? I can imagine him looking at his sword thinking, I'm going to help some of you mongrels along. Eh? 
<laughs> I am going to hasten this job. Yeah? I can imagine Caleb shaking his fist at God and saying, That's not fair. See, the Bible is silent about what was really going on in Caleb's life in those things. But what it does say is that 40 years later, at the age of 85, Caleb comes to Joshua in Joshua chapter 14, verses 11 to 12, and he says, As yet, 40 years later, remember, as yet, I am as strong this day as on the day Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so is my strength for war. Now give me that mountain. I'm going to make those giants pay. Yeah? 40 years of wandering. He didn't get bitter about it. You see, there is a saying that man sets the test, but God writes the exam. The journey is more important than the final destination. What makes Caleb's life all the more extraordinary is that he endured 40 years in submission to God without grumbling, without complaining, without becoming bitter, without becoming disappointed. You know, so many people, so many people are thrown off their faith because of the decisions of others. So many people get upset and get ho-ha or, or angry with God because of what other people do. Caleb didn't do that. Are you upset with someone else tonight? Because guess what? They can't wreck your life. God gives their license only to you. Yeah? Your parents can't wreck your life. Your husband or wife cannot wreck your life. Your boss cannot wreck your life. Your pastor cannot wreck your life. Only you can. Will you endure with patience and courage and not lose heart with God? You see, the faith and courage that you face each obstacle in your life is as important as that final victory. That's as important as that final victory. How you face each and every challenge. Could I have the band tonight, guys? Thanks. Do you love God here tonight, people? Yeah? Are you excited about God? How many of you want that kind of life and kind of attitude that Caleb carried? Yeah? Okay, this is what you need to do. You need to develop a can-do attitude. You need to develop a God is good and God is able foundation in your life. You need to develop a forward focus. And like I say, that's not that dinky little car. It's a letting go of the past. If the past has bound you, you need to make a choice and let it go. You need to refuse to buckle to peer pressure. And you need to refuse to let the mistakes of others rob you of your strength. Can I have some, uh, some keys? Thanks. Good.